the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spot Track in your browser, download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, get yourself 40% off that first year, and it'll be exclusive ad-free content. Also, check out dynastyowner.com. It's a dynasty fantasy football league like no other real NFL salaries using AAVs and all the decisions real GMs make throughout the fantasy football season, including starting now. Players, are, notable players, are continuing to sign, as I'll talk about in a moment here. All of that is changing the landscape on Dynasty Owner right now. Visit DynastyOwner.com, get yourself started. You and your friends can enjoy a complicated, challenging, brand new way to play Dynasty fantasy football. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Sunday night, Monday morning, wherever you're listening to this. The NBA playoffs have not disappointed. Been a good back and forth. Big leads have squashed. And uh, we're, we're experiencing a nice Final Four here. So we'll have plenty to talk about with Keith once that all wraps up in terms of the June finals, things like that. He's well into off-season mode. Over 15, over half the league in terms of off-season previews from Keith Smith on SpotTrack.com right now. And uh, I'll be picking out some notable notes from those soon with some more deep dives into the NBA offseason because, as you know, it's not just about free agency. It's not just about who's available, but who may be available via the trade. That's kind of how things work. And that's what I'm going to focus on in the NFL here quickly early on. Front show, quick NFL update, back of the show. Cousin Dan joins me to talk New York Mets, one of the most interesting teams to start the uh, 2022 MLB season. We're at the quarter pole of the Major League Baseball season, and the Mets are down to two aces, let's put it that way. But still atop the NL East, eight games up at the time of this recording. Comfortable. Does that mean they can coast for six to eight weeks, which is what Max Scherzer's injury timeline is currently laid out to be? Dan and I break down not just that, but a couple of uh, pending free agents, some extension candidates, certainly Pete Alonso's future in New York and, and financially what that might look like and a couple of other notable things with one of the more interesting teams in Major League Baseball. So that's the back end of the show. Like I mentioned, quick NFL update here. Jadavian Clowney goes back to Cleveland as expected. And, uh, and that's kind of the theme right now, right? I think a lot of the, the later free agents, right? The, bo- the big boom was, was exciting. I thought the J.C. Jackson move, certainly a couple of the wide receiver moves were extremely interesting in terms of the movement around the league. And obviously, Von Miller joining the Bills was a, a blockbuster move. But as we got into the late March, early April, and now into May's, certainly past the draft, things are going to be status quo. There's going to be a lot of familiarity built into that, into you know the late season moves. Clowney going back to Cleveland to me was always a foregone conclusion. You're going to hear that he turned down more money elsewhere. The, the 11 to 14 million he's going to make here, you know, probably starting at eight or nine in terms of base value. Certainly haven't seen the breakdown yet. But he's on a team that can win some ball games. He's comfortable. He's got a familiarity. He's got coverage on the other side of the line with Miles Garrett. Not many teams can offer the defensive line that Cleveland can right now, and also hand out what could be more than ten million for twenty twenty two to Clowney. So it's a good fit to me. This was always going to happen. And if you look around the recent signings, Tyron Matthew going back to New Orleans, Jarvis Landry going back to New Orleans, it just makes total sense. I think Baltimore had an in with both of those players, but Baltimore is. I'm, not, I'm going to put this lightly. Baltimore is maybe the cheap man's version of a good NFL team right now. But they're not alone. I think Green Bay is this way. I think uh, 
Pittsburgh has operated this way, and they still won a lot of ball games. They just simply will not go north of, of a certain number, and, and certainly New England's in this conversation. They certainly they have a number, they have a dollar figure, maybe they have a percentage, and maybe that's positional based, maybe that's based on production, but they have. You can tell that it's it's a very analytical process that we're not going to just swing the fence for one name and hope that that changes the landscape of our season, even though I think Jarvis Landry, uh, as a number two, number three option on that team, could have really changed things for Lamar Jackson. But, you know, he chose New Orleans on basically a $3 million base value with, with a chance to, to, you know, to double that and then some. And, and Tyron Matthew got less than $10 million a year to go to New Orleans, to back to New Orleans. So there's some familiarity involved here. There's... Obviously, it's about reps too. You know, Jarvis Landry knows he's got a chance to really catch some balls and, and possibly reinvigorate his career, which is a big part of this as well. Tyron Matthews already done this once with Houston. Took a one-year, $7 million showcase deal in Houston, turned that into $14 million a year for three years in Kansas City, and now he's on contract number four. Took a little bit less, certainly based on his age, and maybe joined a not-as-great team, but has a chance to turn a not-as-great team into an above-average team in what can be a weak division. So like I said, it's not just about dollars right now. And in fact, it's probably less about dollars than anything else when it gets to May. So the Landry deal makes a ton of sense to me. The, you're going to see a couple of running backs now start, sort of pop into certain rosters. I do think there's some teams that need that. And that's going to lead into the next conversation, which is as we near camp, hopefully over the, over the involuntary stuff, there's no major injuries, but unfortunately, I can't say that without knowing that something's going to happen. And that will certainly trigger some different conversations, right? Trade candidates, who has surplus at certain positions, things like that. But once we get into camp and guys immediately start not working out, guys do get injured, it's going to be extremely quick who's available, who's on the trade block, bang, bang, because then you're smelling week one. I mean, once you're, once you're into to late July, you're smelling week one at that point. So there will be a bit of a lull here. And like I said, hopefully not going to not too many serious injuries that really change some of these rosters up front. But financially speaking, I think it'll, it'll plateau here. Now, that will, you will see some trades happen. There are just some guys out there, and, and certainly the quarterbacks are one of them with Garoppolo and Baker. And the Deshaun Watson decision is going to change, I think, people's approach with that. It sounds like that's about three to four weeks away, but there's finally some kind of NFL involvement with that. So certainly that's going to be a forefront. I don't think we're done with the wide receivers yet. I really don't. I think there's a couple more to move around here, smaller names, but I do think teams like Green Bay and maybe a couple others just don't have the depth right now. And as some of these young kids that they've added are realized to be not immediate impact players, you're going to see some teams sort of panic a little bit. And that's when we see trades and that's fun. You know, July trades, August trades, they seem reckless and, and in panic mode. And to some degree, they can be. But I think it also, it also is good teams recognizing we don't have enough to get ourselves through 17 weeks. And especially now with the added week, you have to start to recognize that early on and, and not have to wait to the trade deadline or even after that. Um, and then the last thing is the extensions. And we've got a really prominent team in, in Los Angeles, the Rams that have a player right, player right now that is basically saying, you got to pay me this number exactly or more, or I'm walking away, not just from you, from the game. And that's Aaron Donald. And you can understand the threat. You can understand him saying, I'm a $30 million player. I've done more than enough. 
I did it before we were winning. I did it while we're winning. And I'm going to continue to do it now while we're done winning. So uh, he's the face of that defense, regardless of who else is there, Jalen Ramsey, who else? He's the face of that defense. He's one of the faces of that team now to go along with Stafford and head coach Sean McVay. And, uh, you know, the latter two there, I think have both been kind of playing for contracts. I think McVay knows that he's not the highest paid coach in football. He should be. He will be. Les Snead deserves an extension. There's no question about it. I mean, he sometimes he swings and misses and it's and it's the worst idea in the world. And that's just part of the game that he plays. And sometimes when he swings, it's a freaking grand slam. And that's what happened in 2021. And I think Howie Roseman is is very, very similar with his sw- big swings. And he has gone all in to some degree with that Philadelphia team. Not totally all in, right? Not like $100 million veterans just yet. Although he did add a $100 million wide receiver in A.J. Brown. But there's a sense that those two organizations kind of work the same way. And I would put New Orleans in this conversation as well. But they do it a little bit differently in terms of cap gymnastics and things like that. It doesn't look as eye-popping, even though they try to sell it that way with fake contracts to Taysom Hill. But L.A.'s all in. And now they have to go all in on their defensive tackle, their defensive lineman, and Aaron Donald. And that is going to be $30 million per year, in my opinion, because your TJ Watts, your, your Joey Boses, and soon-to-be Nick Boses of the world are, are at the $28 million mark. And there's just no way that those, those players can put the resume together that is that what Aaron Donald has done over the past five-plus years. It's just uh, it's unapproachable for any other defensive player in football. And one of, the, one of the best resumes of any defensive player in the history of the game. And I don't think I'm using hyperbole to speak like that. And that's certainly what his agent is sitting down and saying. And six months ago, I'm saying, all right, all you got to do is kind of restructure the final two years of this contract because there are, there's term left and the Rams can, can use that as some leverage. So you push some of this money forward, you make it a signing bonus, you give him cash in hand and he's happy, except it sounds like that's not going to be good enough for him. It sounds like he wants a real deal, rip it up, start over. I want three or four years at 30 million per year. I want. 75 million of that fully guaranteed at signing. And, and I get it. I really do get it because they have gone to those lengths for Jared Goff. They have gone to those lengths for Todd Gurley and for Brandon Cooks. And yes, those are three disastrous contracts based on the, you know, you know, the production, although they did get to a Super Bowl. But they ripped those up, started over, made trades, ate the dead cap, and, and still won the Super Bowl. And part of that is because Aaron Donald's on this roster. But the point is, they set a precedence with those contracts that I just mentioned. And the precedence is when you prove that you're a veteran that, that can win the Super Bowl on this team, you will be paid accordingly. Well, Donald not only had proved it leading up to the Super Bowl, he proved that they could win the Super Bowl with him as part of the linchpins. So there's really no backing off here. To me, he's got all the leverage in the world. If the number's 30 per year and 75 fully guaranteed at signing, then that's what the Rams are going to have to do because their precedence has been not just all in with trades, not just all in with punting on first round picks, but going all in with guaranteed top of the line, top market contracts. Jalen Ramsey's on that list now. Pat Stafford's on that list now. And Aaron Donald's going to have to be next. So to me, that is one of the biggest things to watch over the next few days. I expect it to get done by the end of this week because why would the Rams let this fester into June when there's really no, no other way to go but get it done? Because I do believe that we are not being bamboozled by Aaron Donald and his camp. I think he'll walk away from this game. Why wouldn't he? He has done everything he's been asked to do, including get that ring. And he's made tons of money to do it, but he deserves more. So to me, it's four for 120 with 75 million guaranteed. It's a quarterback contract, 
right? It's a, it's a second-tier quarterback contract. That's what he's looking for here. And I think the Rams would be foolish not to get it done sooner rather than later. All right, let's uh, talk about my beloved Mets and their great start, but their uh, battered roster right now. All right, Dan, you know I don't like to go homer as much as possible, but it's time. The Mets are in first place. They're seven games up, and disaster has struck. Jacob deGrom has already been shelved for TBD, and now Max Scherzer is on a TBD situation himself with an oblique injury that, I don't know, it sounds like two months, but if they're going to slow play this thing, I think August is realistic. So the top two horses in the barn are out, which leaves couple of guys who have injury histories in their past, Timon Walker and Carlos Carrasco, and a couple of youngsters, <laughs> Tyler McGill and David Peterson. That's the Mets layout right now. I'm going to let you figure this out. Do you want to talk restructuring this roster, or do you want to talk about extending some of the talent on this roster? Because both things are kind of happening simultaneously here. Yeah, let's get into possible replacements, I guess, or how they might restructure things now. All right. Question number one, because you've been watching baseball a long, long time, and you've seen and look, you, you live in a small market world with Cleveland that they can't just go out and get the best available pitcher when something like this happens, right? They have to kind of piece things together. And a lot of times it happens internally. Do you believe that's how the Mets will operate here? There are a couple of names that have been up and down. I mentioned Peterson. There's a Medina kid who's been up and down in terms of like a long reliever who they could stretch out. Is that you think plan A is to kind of ride through June, bring up some of the kids, hope you can kind of get some innings eaters out of this, or is this situation too dire and this team too good to kind of screw around like that? It's a, it's a fair question. I, I do think in turn, I, I mean, they have to at least rely on the depth internally a little bit. Um, now coming into the year with, with Scherzer and McGill healthy, it did look like they had five or six really good starters. Now you take those two guys out of the rotation. It, the depth, the depth is a little bit thinner than we originally thought. Um, I just don't think they need to overreact right now to go get a pitcher tomorrow. Um, I do think that they're going to kind of look internally, maybe try and put five together um, to, to piece to piece through a couple of rough spots. But um, no, I I don't think they need to rush out to do anything. There's a world where they can stretch out Seth Lugo as well. They've done that before. I don't think it's the best idea in the world (laughs) with the recent history. But I, I forgot the name Trevor Williams as well. They have stretched him out from the bullpen the past couple of years. Sounds like he's going to slot in right now. So it's not like they don't have the arms. They, they have arms. But when you're talking about replacing Scherzer, right, that's generally three arms on a rotation. It's just not something you can do. And maybe that's not the approach, right? Um, was it realistic to think he was going to throw 32 stars this year anyway, Dan? No, no, I don't think anyone, that's a good point because I think that's kind of being left out of the discussion here is that you sort of figured you were going to be with, without one of DeGrom or Scherzer for various points in the season. You were just hoping those didn't overlap and we kind of fell into the worst case scenario here with McGill also being out. Um, It kind of just compounds things, but um, no, I, I mean, going back to your original question, they have an eight game lead. They've bought themselves some room to work with here. And that's why I don't think, um, they need to rush out to to make a move now. Let, let's, you know, not to play doom scenario here, but if, if they were to lose another starter, let's say Tywan Juan Walker gets re-injures his knee, which yeah. he was having issues with earlier in the season, then things start to look different. But I mean, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Walker, and Trevor Williams can kind of piece things together here until um, McGill gets back. I think, but um, are yeah, the it's... are the Vegas odds? 
agreeing with you right now? Because I don't believe oh. the ads fell off the truck, even though, you know, certainly from a social media standpoint, the Mets did when Scherzer went down. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is like things have. So the Braves have started to gain a little bit of steam there, but the Mets haven't really lost any ground. So um, it is still early, though. The, the Scherzer stuff kind of just came down. I don't think there's been too much reaction to it quite yet. Um, but I'm very curious to see how this goes over the next couple of weeks as um, this narrative that the Mets, you know, are all of a sudden going to collapse, you know, yeah. kind of plays itself out. But I, I don't I don't buy into it. I, I mean, they are in a pretty fragile space right now. Um, don't get me wrong, but the, the offense can win in a number of ways. They <laughs> don't have to they don't just slug their way to win so they can they're dynamic enough to kind of win some tight games, uh, you know, manufacture runs. They have a good bullpen. Um, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, the apocalypse here. Like a lot of people are kind of painting the picture right now. So you, you took the words out of my mouth there because I think there are certain teams and I think maybe the team right across town there in New York in, in recent years, when things like this have happened and certainly with the, with the Yankees injuries have been part of their storyline, they have countered not with going to get other pitchers. They have countered with, we're going to hit the hell out of the ball. right? We're going to win games via offense. It's kind of the NFL strategy, right? You can, try, you can try to beat us with good defense, but we're going to outscore you every single week. That's sort of the, 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 the spread offense philosophy in the NFL. That's not the Mets' makeup right now, though. Now, the Mets are scoring a hell of a lot of runs, but you, as you mentioned, they're piecing it together every which way. Is the plan, do you think, to simply add offensive depth because they've got catcher injuries, they've got certain little nicks here and there, you know, a, third, a hole at third base really offensively just everywhere you look, could it be that they say, we're going to string together the arms through June and maybe through some of July, but we're going to go get another bat and we're going to try to act, actually add some offense to this roster to sort of secure a win here or there and kind of let us through this process? I guess I, I, guess I don't know the answer to that one, Mike. Like you're probably, you might be better suited to kind of answer your own question on that, but yeah. um, it's, I mean. Just your philosophy with, or, or your thoughts on that philosophy as a whole right now in baseball. Um, trying to out outscore the other team versus outpitch the other team. It's certainly the cheaper way to remake your roster. And we sort of saw that with Atlanta last year, where they picked up a bunch of um, fringe offensive players. So I do I like your point. I just guess I don't really know where they have a hole. Like the roster kind of seems full as it is, where they can't even get Dom Smith um the at bats they need to in order to probably trade him. But I I mean. Um, that's where I think that they would go is maybe like a Dom Smith deal for like a depth pitcher. Um, but okay. yeah, let's but talk about it then. That, let's, let's flip the switch down to who, who that could be, because this is a, a global conversation. Certainly the Mets are one of the teams that need pitching maybe more than anybody right now in terms of the top of contenders. But as we head towards June here, the trade candidate situation is going to unload and there's, there's some names, there's some pitchers out there that these contenders will be all vying for, I would imagine. And maybe the Mets get, get, get an early start on this. If I give you four names, rank them, not so much for the Mets, but maybe just in terms of the viability that they're going to be on a different roster in the next couple of weeks. Oakland's Frankie Montas, Cincinnati's Louis Castillo, Cincinnati's Tyler Mayo, and, and Chicago Cubs' Kyle Hendricks. Um. Okay. Montes should have already been gone quite honestly. <laughs> so I think he's definitely, um, he's definitely going to be moved. I just, 
I don't think the Mets are going to be able to match offers. Um, yeah. You know, the, it, it, just to, just before I answer your question, I think the Mets, it, it, like, there's this there's this narrative that it's too early. Like, I keep hearing it's too early to trade for a pitcher. Like, that teams aren't willing to move pitchers. I don't I don't buy that. And if anything, I think the Mets, like, I, I had just said that they need to be patient and see for a couple of weeks what they have and mm-hmm. where they're going. But at the same time, I think they can jump the market on a starting pitcher but you're not going to be targeting one of those top end guys. But I think you can add maybe a, a, a starting pitcher three or four to the mix okay. for relatively cheap. If you kind of jump the market and get ahead of it, you know what I'm trying to say? But Frankie Montas, I, I mean like every team in the league who's a contender and has, you know, trade ammunition is going to be looking at him. I, you know, unless they were willing to part with like, um, you know, like a, <clears throat> like, Alvarez or what their catching prospect or, right. or somebody like that. I think they're going to have trouble competing in that market. Um, so kind of to, to now flip back to your question, uh, Castillo, I think actually, I think Castillo and Mally are both. Mm-hmm. Perf- I, I expect them both to move. Yeah. Um, the Kyle Hendricks, that, that's kind of more interesting to me. It is. Um, and I think that's a team that, specifically. that that matches the Mets right now because they have veterans. They've already started selling, right? And, and you could get Chicago to eat a bunch of this contract, don't you think? I do. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And he's kind of like a not sexy name that um, it's probably not going to cost you as much, but he's, you know, ground ball pitcher playing in a really pit- if he were to play in uh, City Field, uh, mm-hmm. a pitcher-friendly ballpark, I think that's a really nice match. Um, kind of feels really Chris nice Bassett to me in, in a lot yeah, of ways. Un- an underrated move. Yeah, I think that would be nice. It, I, I like that that idea. Okay. So I think those names are going to be out there. We'll have plenty more trade candidates uh, conversations down the line here. Um, real quick, Dan, I'm going to look at the bottom of the standings. Where It's the quarter pull of Major League Baseball. It's, we're, we're about uh, 25% in for all these rosters here. Who's going to be harshly selling soon? I mean, you know, we can focus on the Mets here, but who is who is Billy Epler calling right now as Mets GM? Which teams are absolutely out? Certainly Oakland. Talk to me about Baltimore. Baltimore's bad, but it just doesn't feel like they're a dumpster fire right now. It actually feels like some of these guys are starting to figure things out. And and does that mean maybe they're on the, hitting the pause button more than they are the sell button? Um, I still think they're sellers. Um, maybe they're just not selling everything that's not nailed down. You know what I mean? But I think, um, if you make a competitive offer on a guy, you know, they, like they, it's like such a minor move, but like Cole Salser is like a, like a, um, MLB reliever and they, you know, DFA'd him not long ago or traded him for like nothing pieces you know what i mean so like they're still willing to subtract from the roster kind of thing and i'm i'm hesitant to say that they're not going to sell because they they feel like they're headed to some sort of positive direction but i mean they do have some prospects coming up maybe they don't want to like gut it but i think teams can make the call there do you feel the same about detroit um or do they have a little bit more figured out in your opinion oh i don't know that's sort of a roster still in flux too. Um, I don't think they're sellers. I think they're more of a pause team. Okay. I I think I agree with that. Yeah. If I'm comparing the two, I think um, the Orioles are more likely to sell. And I think the Tigers are more likely to kind of stay afloat and see what they have with the current talent. But 
it's it, they're definitely disappointing to start. You know, the young group of guys that they thought they were coming up um, have not been as good as uh, you know. It's only thirty-five games. It's all right. It's time. Cincinnati and Chicago for sure, both sellers, right? Yeah, agreed. Arizona. Um. Yes. I. I. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys to like on that roster. Yeah, I I feel like. I mean, I'm going to say this right as their pitching staff gets okay, but I feel like it's going to be a pitcher. You know, I, I yeah. they have a lot of young talent, um, some guys in the pipeline. So like they're they're a few years away, but I think this is a good year to kind of. I believe <laughs> we can throw Zach Davies into the trade conversation. Yeah, that's fair. I like that. I definitely do. I don't think you're going to get yourself to a Zach Gallon just yet, and I don't think Bumgarner's movable quite quite frankly. So. I think Davies is the guy to move. He's 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 in that Kyle Hendricks conversation for me without question. And and from a Baltimore standpoint, if they're going to start selling, Jordan Lyles is in that same conversation. I mean, you know, it's a it's a mid four ERA right now, but I think part of that is Baltimore, right? So, I uh, I do think there's some fourth and fifth guys out there like you're talking about that teams like New York and and certainly you know the Phillies if they need some help down the stretch here could be thinking about Colorado. Are they for real? They're about a 500 team now. No, I mean, I don't, I, I, I think they're like, I think the last time we talked about them, I kind of went a little bit hard in terms of, I don't really see a direction. I think they like, yeah, they have a direction. I just don't know if I love the direction is, is a better way to put it. I don't, I mean, in a different division, maybe, but not, no, I don't think they're, they're going to compete long-term in that. And quick thoughts on Boston before we get back to the Mets. Um, the offense is just too good to, for them to be this bad all season. I think it's a little bit narrative based right now where everyone just like wants to hammer on them for being so terrible. But, um, I mean, they're only four games back from the, the, uh, the blue Jays, like they're right in the wild card race. Um, their bullpen is really bad. Again, they did, they did nothing to address that they're starting pitching. Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess I'm rambling a little bit, but they, I think they ultimately sell, but it's they're not, they're not dead right now, in my opinion. No, they're not, and and I think that's that should be at least commended because I've been killing them as well, Dan. But you're right, and, and they have the ability to hit, so they're I think they're going to be one of those teams that just has to rely on offense and could actually buy offense, which is weird because they're so bad pitching wise in every regard that they may just have to overcompensate with the bats, and I, I think it's possible. If, but I think it's also possible they completely rip this bandaid off. Let Martinez walk, trade Devers, trade Bogarts, and just go for it, right? Yeah, I agree. It can it can definitely go either way. I like again, people the early season talking points yep. are that like they need to just tear it down and sell whatever. And you know, I, I just, yeah, that's going to be a last minute decision, don't you agree? Yeah, I agree. And it, and we've seen them too. They're not just going to like gut it, gut it. You know, it, they're going to probably get major league talent back in return. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not ready to put the nail in the coffin on them yet, but it's, it's obviously not looking good and it's uh, kind of on the, the back of their pitching. Let's talk some contracts. Polar Red Pete Alonzo is doing it again. We, uh, we were kind of wondering if this was going to be a one year wonder or a, a year and a half wonder. It's not, he's actually adjusted his game to become a more complete hitter. His first base has been great. That was always going to be a question mark coming in. It's been great. And now there's a DH in the National League. So I, I don't know how you look at this guy and, and think nothing but positive things. He's 27 and a half years old. There's two years of arbitration left under his team control. You're going to start to hear the rumblings because he's going to start to get into that NF and that um, NL MVP conversation. 
and that's generally when contracts start to get talked about. Is it the time to, to pay Pete Alonso? I I would say yeah, yeah. I think he deserves a contract. Um, I don't really see a lot of hesitations in the profile, like you kind of just laid out. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I I I don't have too much more to add. I I think it's the right time. Um, to me, it really aligns with the Aaron Judge situation because Aaron Judge had this a couple of years ago where he really broke out. He became kind of the face of New York. They weren't winning a ton of ball games, at, at, you know, with the Yankees. They were they were kind of getting in and out of the postseason quickly, and that's still been the case. Um, but we didn't really see any discontent between the two, and, and and I don't see anything with Pete and the Mets either. So the fact that that Judge got to the finish line and then ended so ugly, and it, I really don't know if it's going to to rebound from what I'm reading. I really do think he's going to go out and try to find greener grass and and certainly more money, and he's playing like he's like he's going to get that as well. How do the Mets avoid that? You know what I mean? Do they have to just grossly overpay like they did for Lindor? Well, they probably have to do that the closer he gets to that free agency. But yeah. as you kind of mentioned with his two years of arbitration remaining still, um, I kind of think it is a is a good time to strike now where you might be able to find a, a nice spot of value where he's still getting paid really handsome. So Right, and... And you can structure it so that, you know, next year, the next two years kind of look like arbitration salaries, similar to how they did with Lindor. So that, you you know, when you're paying Max Scherzer 43 and change the next two years, two and a half years here, you can at least save yourself a little bit of cash flow. But it, uh, contractually speaking, just from a mathematical standpoint, Dan, if I told you he's about eight for 250 right now, which is basically the offer that Aaron Judge just turned down with the Yankees, what makes you, uh, are you, are you up or down on that? I mean, it's not my money, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I mean, I think he's, he's established himself as one of, if not the premier power hitter in the league. Um, so yeah, I don't really have a lot of issues with it. It's not fringe power. He hits everything way out. So like, I don't, you know, barring injuries, I, I don't, I don't see a lot of, um, reason to hesitate on, you know, on Pete's profile. So yeah, I, I think it's a really good time to do it. I, I had just heard two on a recent pod. I I'm sorry. I can't remember exactly who it was, but that, um, like teams like their voices in the locker room to be the two highest paid position players mm. on a team. Um, Lindor is obviously that cornerstone player. I think, I mean, you probably watch more post game Mets conferences than I do, but like, Pete's got to be the next biggest voice in that room, right? And I think right now it's Scherzer because that's just who Scherzer is. But yeah, there's no question Pete is part of that conversation, Dan. Yeah, and there's really no offensive, like, premier player that you'd kind of be, like, saving that contract for, if you will. So I, I don't really see a lot of hesitation in why they, they shouldn't. All right, um, but let's you know, talk about this because you, you bring up an excellent point. Lindor got $341 million, and he's basically the same age as Pete is, right? Maybe a half a year younger. But he plays shortstop. He plays first, and he's going to DH a hell of a lot over the next five to six years. Does does it matter? Does Pete have to make more than Lindor? Mm. Because that's going to be a part of the conversation, especially in the back of the New York Post, right? I mean, that's just how this stuff works out there. Yeah. I, I guess I don't know the inner workings enough to like confidently say one way or another, but I... I mean, in this scenario, like Lindor's contract was such a mega deal outlier that um, I don't know if like, you know, the positional comparison will line up for Pete to like try and, you know, one up that deal. But um, 
I guess the question though is why wouldn't he be worth it? Um, no, I, I, I agree that he probably is worth it in terms of like a, you know, $350 million first base contract. I, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. Doesn't it yeah, seem wrong exactly. to say out loud, but, but can I, can I push back on you this way? Like, don't you feel more confident about Pete because the DH is available? Or do you need the defensive statistics and the defensive production to actually factor in? Mm, no, no. But like you said earlier, he's been really good. Yeah. People thought coming in, he's, that was the hole. And it's not. So I, I guess I just don't think he needs to DH that soon. Um, but it is like your, your comment on how it is there and it's an option for them does um, give me more confidence in like committing a big contract to him long term. <clears throat> Let's talk to Grom and get out of here. This one's going to make me miserable. Um, there's no timetable. And yet, as he was going through this injury, basically as he was walking off the mound with the, with the injury, with the bone bruise that is now just a long-term thing, that he's basically trying to reheal re his entire upper body properly because I don't think that happened the last time around. And, and he's kind of paying the price for that right now. So they're slow playing this. He's slow playing this. But... He gets in front of a microphone like a couple hours after this happens and basically says, this isn't going to change my approach contractually. I'm still planning on the opt-out of the 30, of the 30 and a half million, get myself into a new contract situation. At what point does that change, do you think? Does he have to miss the season to opt in? It's... It's probably one of the things I struggle with the most. Kind of, I, I go back and forth on this. Um, let me throw because, this to you. I, let me say he comes back for. No, let me say he doesn't come back, Dan. Okay. Jacob deGrom is done for 2022. The Mets do what they do. Let's say it's, they lose in the NL, in the NL championship game or something like that. The NLCS. DeGrom opts out. The Mets move on. Is there a max contract for Jacob deGrom out there from another team? I would say not like he just got. I think it would be like heavily incentive based. Okay. Um, but it could be, still be a huge deal, but short, shorter term. I mean, I, I think at this point there's enough smoke there that like, I, I'm not going to call him injury prone, but there is probably some wear and tear on after years of throwing a hundred miles an hour as a starter, you know? So um, I think there's some concern there. And that's why I guess like, your original question, do, you know, does he opt out or like have, ha, has anything changed? I am under the impression that it ha, how could it not have changed? Like it, I, I don't necessarily know he's a $36 million pitcher unless he's healthy or he, does he even come close to that value unless he's healthy? You know, I can tell you I, right I, now I, he's eyeing Scherzer's contract. He wants three at 40 plus. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's dependent on the medicals, but like, I, I think there's a non-zero chance he becomes a reliever at some point, right? I mean, like how many more? I, I think I it's know. a very good conversation to have. Very good. Does having Max Scherzer change the Mets approach with DeGrom? I guess it depends on if Max is healthy too, right? Yeah. I mean, they could, they could, they were better off flow playing this when Max was in the rotation, but now you have like, 70 million committed to two guys on your injured list for right. another two months, possibly. I, I mean, 
It's a good question. It's a good question. It's really, I, I mean, the, I can't, I almost can't believe he came out at the beginning of the year and said, I'm, I'm opting out no matter what, like it kind of put him in a, in a corner, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where this ends up either. It, it is an extremely complicated situation. And, and if I'm Steve Cohen, it's not just as easy as throwing money at this one. You know what I mean? And, and there's a world where I, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world to say that we have Max Scherzer. We don't really need to go big on you, Jacob, which is crazy because this is like 1A, 1B in terms of top starting pitchers over the past couple of years. This is, these are the two guys. And you, 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 know, you don't have these two guys in your roster if you don't want them doing what they do. But I don't know that Jacob Dragon moves to, to a closer position with the Mets versus leaving to go somewhere else to start. You know what I'm saying? I think this right. is a very NBA type situation where somebody's taking a chance on Degrom being healthy, and somebody's going forty million to try to get him in. I, I believe that would be the case. Now, you know, it only takes one team. I think what I'm saying is I don't want the Mets to be that team. Would Would you agree with that? If he opts out, I, and, and and let's say he has twelve starts and he looks like a like a decent facsimile of what Jacob Degrom can be. Is that, is that enough for you to say, all right, do what you got to do financially, just keep this guy around? Or do you, do you think you'll have a, a serious concern based on last year and now the start of this year that there's just no long-term security with this guy? The, the Scherzer thing, as we talk it out, the Scherzer thing definitely makes an impact on that. Yeah. Um, that like that, Them not having to immediately scramble to find another potential ace for that rotation is, is a huge factor in this, I think. Um, Otherwise, they might be the team to say, okay, like we need a front end rotation guy, even if, you know, the health, there's some questions about the health. Let's take that risk on bringing him back to be that guy. But um, now that you have Scherzer there, I think they're going to be more likely to not. I mean, do they just shut up about it and hope, you know, hope that he opts out and, and chases that and just like kind of not even comment on the whole thing, you know? Like, do they, if he, let's say he has to become a reliever, do they really want to pay him $36 million no. to be a high level? Either, no, you know? I, that's what I mean. I, I think everywhere you look, it's sort of reckless here, which is crazy because this is one of my all-time favorites, <laughs> you know, for my team. But I just think we're at a point where I, do you, I just can't anticipate him ever getting back to 100%. Can you? Because I, no, not over, because I think 100% is actually what did this. I think, yeah, like you mentioned, over. throwing 100 for three and a half straight seasons did this to him. So, and, and by the way, relieving would only accentuate that. So... Doesn't he just have to remake everything about him to, to try to hold on for three to four more years? I, I think there's a much bigger conversation from a health and, a, and an actual pitching standpoint than there is the contract here. But the reason I bring it up now is there, I, I agree with you. I think the Mets just have to sit in their hands with this and, and let whatever happens, happens. And if he opts in, you deal with $30 million, which could be of great value in 2023 to a pitcher who can play. And if he doesn't, then you know, it's probably the Syndergaard in the Conforto situation, which is go out and try to find a max contract. And when you don't come, come call us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's, a, that, the, it, it, I, I kind of painted it like it's, it would be the worst case scenario for the Mets. If he did come back, I mean, they could with Steve Cohen's money, they could easily, if he did opt back in and yeah. they didn't want to use him as a starter and a different team is willing to trade for him, they could retain salary. I mean, there's creative ways to get around that. So, I shouldn't um, be so negative about that aspect of it. But no, yeah, I agree with you. It's sour grapes everywhere you look. It's yeah, sour grapes. It's tough. But on, 
on the positive side, if things do work out, I mean, knowing how deep the Mets have been and how good they've played so far, if, if they can add Scherzer and DeGrom to that rotation come August 1st, I mean, yeah, watch out, you know? So then I'll, I'll finish on this. Let's finish on some positivity. Glass half full. Both these guys heal up properly. The Mets give them the proper time and they are in some sort of contention come August 1st when, when everything's back to normal here in terms of the rotation, all right? Knock on wood. Both these guys finish out the year healthy. DeGrom opts out. Scherzer's got two years and 86 million or 87 million left. Can the Mets, can any Major League Baseball team <laughs> go $80 million a year on two starting pitchers? Hmm. Because that's what best case scenario would lead us to in, de- on, in December, essentially. I mean, they can. They obviously showed that they were willing to when they signed both of them like that. So I, it's just if they can stay healthy, right? So you think that the current climate of, of baseball and Steve Cohen and, and everything here, do you, you think that's what it's going to take? Do you th- because I'm not sure the Dodgers have ever done this. I mean, Kershaw was up there, and certainly Bauer's yeah. contract was up there. Um, and they did bring in bets. So I guess there's some version of this. I mean, the Dodgers, just, have, the Dodgers have a basically a, a slightly prorated version of what we're laying out here. But we're talking about a shortstop that's $34 million, potentially two starting pitchers at $40 million plus, and then Pete somewhere around the $30 million per year mark. And that's sustainable, you think? <laughs> it is if you draft and develop in international free agency, all of that stuff, which the Dodgers do and the Dodgers have been able to live like this. Now, like that's where the multiple years of subtracting by the previous Mets regime has like left them in a little bit of a scary sure. position is their, their roster is pretty complete right now. But um, you know, if, if it falls apart quick, then they're, they're in some trouble long-term, you know? Okay. So then let's finish on one more guy because he's been great. He's underrated. Not many, I think not many average Joe baseball fans know who Brandon Nimmo is, but he values to close to $15 million a year right now in our system, Dan, because he's kind of an all-tool player, doesn't strike out, does everything right. He's a leadoff player. He's a center fielder. All those things I just laid out, and including this conversation we're having about the Mets and potentially you know, $120 million for four players next year. Is it realistic? That a leadoff man who plays center field, who's not going to have you know eye popping stats in any regard, but is just one hundred percent above average, solid in every regard, is he that kind of player in terms of finances? I don't think he gets valued as like a top top half of the league center fielder. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, but there's value there for sure. I mean, he's got good hard hit numbers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like you said, good defensively leadoff hitter is a valued um, piece of the offensive puzzle. I, We've so seen I, big I, markets throw these kind of guys to the curb, though. Right. Kind of right. frequently. Why, kind of frequently. So my, uh, is that you think what, ha- when's, what ends up happening here? Is this a Jackie Bradley Jr. type situation? Or is it more of a, you know, we can find some value with an Aaron Hicks type contract. We can get a little bit more out of this guy with some sort of Kiki Hernandez type contract. Cause that's kind of how this feels. He's certainly not George Springer. Let's put it that way. Right. And he's right. definitely not Mike Trout. He's kind of Lorenzo Cain, but that was a free agent signing. You know, somebody took him off the market and said, we're going to, we're going to overpay you because we're going to pay for stolen bases. We're going to pay for defense. I think those days are done quite frankly, 
I think you've got to have a hell of a lot more pop to, to, to garner that kind of money. And I think $15 million for Nimmo is too much, even though the math says so right now. So where does this end up, Dan? What do you think? I, I sort of like it. Like, oh, I mean, I think he comes in higher than the Miles Straw contract, which we just saw. Yeah. Um, sort of a similar player, um, leadoff hitter, center fielder, not a ton of power. Um, but I think he he commands. Uh, actually, I don't know, Mike. I mean, he has he really hasn't stayed healthy over a full that year, too. so there's not going to be a lot of confidence from that perspective. I think he um, has trouble getting Aaron Hicks's contract. Yeah, he probably settles in the middle at like seven and a half, right? Somewhere somewhere yeah. like that. Yeah. So this is one of those situations, and we find it a lot in baseball where the math, it, it, it can compare you to players till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't tell you what the roster looks like around you, and it doesn't quite tell you where trends are going with certain positions in certain areas. And I think, and I grew up one, I, I think the center fielder situation is really interesting because the defense is just not being paid for anymore, Dan. It's not. You can throw a rookie out there who's been playing center field for eight years in academies <laughs> and maybe like a mile straw, you can throw an or even a Lewis Robert, right? You can get, you can get an early extension on these guys that comes in under 10 million a year and you've got tremendous value for seven, eight seasons, you know? Yeah. Or, or you, um, there's plenty of, there's a number of organizations with multiple center fielders who have had to Bingo. get kicked to corner outfield spots do that. You can probably acquire, um, like a pre arb contract kind of thing. So, yeah, it's tough sledding for him, but uh, got, he's got to be in the conversation. He's on an expiring contract. He's going to be a focal point for the Mets as they come down the stretch here. So he'll be a name. He'll be a name that hits the free agent market, in my opinion, that some teams will value. I just don't know if the Mets can get that done, you know, unless they try to do it early right now and kind of keep him into the fold long term here. But one of those guys to bring into the conversation for sure. Yeah, and, and Marte can play center there too. Yep. So they might have a little leverage. You know, I, I don't know if they want him playing center field into his mid-30s, but at least in the short term, it's not like they need to... And oh, by the um, way, they just gave Marte the exact contract I'm laying out for Nemo. <laughs> so, so you probably nailed the, the, uh, the nail on the head there, bud. That's exactly probably what the, what the long-term thinking is. Anything else? Would you bet this team right now? No, I'm actually going to wait a little bit now. Mm. It seems like um it seems like the market has like overcorrected to, towards thinking now that the Mets are toast and the Braves are um sorry, they haven't done it yet, but it's starting to go that way and there's not quite value um on the Mets anymore, but I, I think it's going to start to go that way in the next couple of weeks here as um you know, we see them play without Scherzer and yeah. you know a full staff. So. All right, man. Good stuff. Let's go Mets. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.